This is Bulls Beat on USF Bulls Unlimited. Each weekday morning, Bulls Beat is your stop for exclusive interviews, highlights, and the very latest on all sports at the University of South Florida. With today's show, here's your host, Derek Sharp. Not sure that we'll be doing a Bulls Beat every day this week, as you all know what's coming to town and that is probably going to render sports a little bit uh, on the back burner, I'm guessing anyway, and hopefully everybody is able to prepare properly for the impending hurricane. But we will, on this Monday version of Bulls Beat, still take you through the weekend as it was filled with plenty of events. Of course, the football game was not the most enjoyable of them, but we did have a victory broadcast on Bulls Unlimited on Saturday night. That was with men's soccer. You'll hear some highlights in our second segment. We'll also tell you what Volleyball was up to this weekend, losing two matches on the road, including one on Sunday where the stats just don't spell out a loss. We'll give you those confounding numbers and hope that the Bulls, if and when they play at home next, will be victorious. They are scheduled to play this Friday and Sunday. I think by Friday the weather should be out, but maybe the team that they're supposed to play won't be here. That's one of the things that we'll try and keep you informed on immediately if matches and or games are moved around which I'm guessing is going to be the case and we'll sort of lay it out for you this week. Also golf and tennis were in action specifically the women's golf team finishing up an event while the men's golf team is starting one today and the women's tennis team was performing in the Bedford Cup down in Fort Myers. Not a whole lot of highlights that's for sure you know why it was a 41-3 loss for the football team Stunning the outcome, in my opinion, against Louisville, although there were certainly some circumstances that led to it, not the least of which was the Bulls not having their top three receivers on offense. Kind of similar to what the Bucks had going on on Sunday. When you don't have your top pass catchers, it is going to change how you can approach things. And defensively, we said, didn't want to harp too much on Malik Cunningham, but he was the guy that you had to stop, and on a couple of occasions, the Bulls couldn't. And I'll actually go back to a play from Gainesville where the Bulls should have been punting down 3 to nothing early on. It was 3rd and 18. They hand it off to Brian Batty, and all of a sudden he gets the conversion, and the Bulls get the lead. And all of this confidence, well, it was just the reverse in this contest. Now, before this, Louisville had gotten a touchdown on a 40-yard run by Malik Cunningham. However, at this point, you are definitely going to get the ball back, or you would think, with the score still 7-0. There were a couple of key sequences. The second half, frankly, was inconsequential because it was decided in the first half. This was the first big sequence to me. They fake to him. Cunningham looking to throw. Now pulls it down and the Bulls will get him. Jatorian Hansford with the sack back at the 42-yard line. Cunningham was looking around in the internal clock. Didn't go off for him. And Hansford got him on the sack at the 42. It's third and 17. Cardinals back quickly. Here's a designed run. It's Cunningham. Runs it up the middle. He's got big yardage, and he skips out of bounds at about the 25, and he should have enough for the first down. When third downs are getting converted on your end, such as they were by the Bulls against the Florida Gators, you almost take them for granted. When you're unable to convert and the other team is doing that on third down, well, it kind of hits you right in the face. And the next play after the one you heard was a touchdown to an uncovered receiver for 26 yards. Again, the third and 16 was at the Bulls 42. 
Maybe they run it into field goal range and it's 10 nothing, but instead it's 14 to nothing. You want to talk about a key play with the passing game being the issue for the Bulls. Louisville was loaded up to stop the run. When you have a wide open player, you got to hit him. Gary Bohannon did. Remember against the Gators when the Bulls had that four-point lead and they take the shot to Amari and Dollison and he was overthrown? Well, he was perfectly led in this situation. Bohannon to throw. Hit as he throws, but he unloads to Dollison. Incomplete in the end zone. Right through his hands. Not an easy catch by any stretch, but had a chance. Had his man beat. Ball was there. During a game like this, it's probably not a good idea if you're a Bulls fan to watch Twitter too much, but we have it up, I do, for my job, keeping an eye on the other games, etc. And someone was eager to point out that now basically half of the games in Jeff Scott's tenure, the team has been down two scores at the end of the first quarter. Well, that would have made it a one-score game and should have. And you'll hear Coach Scott mention it a couple of times here in his post-game comments. But even after that drop, the Bulls, same possession, early second quarter. Talk about a key two-play sequence. This was the other one. Fourth and four from the Louisville 43. Bohannon has the ball. Straight drop. He's going to throw. It's a slant. It is caught. Yusef Terry at the 30, and he's got the first down. So Yusef Terry makes a big play, his first reception of the year, and it's first down South Florida. Middle of the field was wide open, so it was an easy running catch for Yusef Terry. Bulls six out of eight on fourth downs. Here is a fumble. Dukes lost the handle, and I think the Bulls have turned it over at about the Louisville 31-yard line. The exchange between the quarterback and the running back on an option or, or a read style play is so dangerous because if one of them mishandles it, it looked like it might have been Bohannon who was unclear whether he wanted to hand the ball off or keep it. And Louisville, they've been playing with intensity all game and they jump right on the ball. That's the only thing Louisville did to get the ball on that. That was all a mishandling between quarterback and running back who it seemed like both wanted the ball so badly that the other wouldn't give it up. And well, it ended up on the ground. So. Coach Scott said last week sometimes it has nothing to do with the opponent and the Bulls were doing a lot of self-inflicting. As Louisville got the ball, though once again, a third and five looked like a stop for the Bulls, but the Cardinals go for it. And Malik Cunningham, you knew was going to run the ball, and he runs it for a 35-yard touchdown. At that point, it was too big of a mountain to climb back up from, even though there were some chances for the offense and created by the defense. As we give you the one final key sequence, yes, not that many highlights, where the defense, hey, at least was starting to make some plays and actually did a nice job the rest of the way, unfortunately, after the score was 28 nothing, But looked like the Bulls maybe could bring some momentum into the half here. And the handoff, Evans, he gets drilled, and the ball is knocked away. It's picked up by Matthew Hill, and the Bulls get the takeaway. Hill picked it up, and the Bulls defense gets the ball back here with 2.02 to go. Phenomenal play, I believe that was DJ Gordon who put the hit on him and it caused in that contact is what caused the fumble. Now they're ready to go on second down and nine. Bohannon to throw toward the end zone looking for Terry and that's picked at the two yard line. Another interception for Louisville, Josh Minkins. So another shot to the end zone where Terry could have been led a little bit better and Gary Bohannon would only get one other possession with which to work. 
part of Jeff Scott's post-game comments here. If you missed them, they were live on our post-game show on USF Bulls Unlimited on the very unsatisfactory effort in the 41-3 loss, but also the decision to pull the quarterback among his comments here. You know, very disappointing uh, day. Uh, felt like we played very poorly uh, in all three areas. We didn't coach well, and uh, we didn't play well, uh, bottom line. And uh, what I just got done telling the team is we got to take ownership uh, for what we uh, put out there on uh, on the film today. And I uh, felt like we had opportunities there in the first half uh, to make some plays. And uh, defensively, uh, we had some opportunities there on a third and fourth down. And, uh, you know, obviously their quarterback's a great player and uh, ran the option and quarterback draw. And uh, we really uh, did not do a very good job defending that. Uh, you know, offensively, uh, we had a drop in the end zone or a deep ball. Gary threw a great ball, had a touchdown and, and uh, dropped it, you know, several other drops and then, you know, some, some interceptions and just kind of all uh, built on each other. Uh, the turnovers and, and not being able to run the ball. Um, I think, you know, Louisville did a great job uh, knowing that we had a good number of uh, wide outs out. Uh, they did what we expected them to do when they found out and uh, really just put eight, nine guys in the box and stopped the run and, and forced us to uh, throw the ball. And I felt like we had uh, opportunities in the passing game uh, to be able to take advantage of it. And uh, un unfortunately, um, you know, we didn't get it done. So I uh, just told the team uh, we got to own it. Uh, you know, we're going to come back and, and watch it tomorrow. We got to learn from it. And then uh, at the end of the day, uh, it was a bad day. And that's what it was. If I felt like this is who this team's been uh, all season long, then uh, I would probably be a lot more concerned than I am now. Uh, through four non-conference games, we knew we had a, a challenging schedule uh, to start the season there with three of our first four being, you know, whatever, two touchdown underdogs or more. We knew it was going to be a challenge. And at the end of the day, uh, I felt like we played well in two of the games and played very poorly in, in two of the others. And uh, so really the challenge for our coaching staff and for our players is uh, to, to figure out, you know, who we're going to be. Uh, the good news is we turn the page uh, next week and uh, non-conference is over and we start conference play. Uh, we're zero and zero in the conference. And, you know, I told the guys this season is not going to be determined by, you know, uh, how, how we've played here in the first four games. It's really going to be determined uh, by how we attack uh, the conference play starting next week. So, uh, you know, we got to learn from it. Uh, we got to go back as coaches and evaluate uh, some of the things that we're doing and, and uh, figure out how to put our guys in a better position uh, to go out and execute. And then uh, hopefully we'll get a number of uh, those guys back next week and, uh, you know, be able to go out and, and play better. We're very disappointed in today and uh, take full ownership of that. But I'm also very confident. Uh, that's not uh, who, who this team is. That's not the group of coaches and group of players uh, that we have in that locker room. Uh, just your your reasoning for, for benching Gary there in the third quarter for Travis. Because I believe we were down 31 to zero. And I didn't want to lose our starting quarterback before we played the first starting or first uh, conference game. He was banged up coming out of the Florida game and uh, really wasn't able to throw as much during the week in practice, but we felt like he could go. And, um, you know, but once it got to that point, you know, you got to think about your entire season ahead. You know, I think we lost, uh, unfortunately, lost Donovan Jennings, uh, more than likely uh, be out for the season. And so you get there in the second half, uh, you know, once the game got away from us and, uh, you know, put in some younger guys and, and uh, try not to, to lose any more starters. So it was more about uh, the game being away from us and give Trey an opportunity to get some work and, uh, you know, not get, get Gary, you know, hurt for, 
on next week. Oh, the injuries. If you were listening to us on the pregame show, we had it for you first. That's why you got to check us out. That's why you got to follow us on Twitter, at Bulls Unlimited, and yours truly is at Derek Sharp, D-A-R-E-K-S-H-A-R-P. We knew that Xavier Weaver was not expected to play. Turns out he did give it a go in practice, so there were some folks that were thinking that he might play, at least give it a shot like Jimmy Horn the previous week, but Weaver never saw the field, so they did not have Weaver, they did not have Jimmy Horn, and they did not have a Joe and Joe. There's some thought that, you know, save it for conference, and you would question if that was the case, but truly I think Weaver would have played if he could, whether it's a conference game or not. He's right about the whole start the season over, and the only problem with it is, for me anyway, I think bowl eligibility is your goal this year. If you win that game against Louisville, you just have to go 500, four and four in conference play. Now you got to go five and three, and I think you got to win the first game to get there. And this game becomes a little bit more winnable after what happened over the weekend. We do our own separate conference show around the American. It airs late on Monday afternoon. Just Go to GoUSFBulls.com for the full schedule. Just head to GoUSFBulls.com on the Fans tab and click on Bulls Unlimited. We post the schedule. But we'll talk more about that game and the rest of the weekend in the conference. But of the teams now in the league, East Carolina suddenly becomes one of the more beatable-looking ones, even though they pushed NC State early this year, should have really won that game, and were looking pretty strong until they lost to Navy in overtime, and their offense really struggled against, frankly, a defensive unit that is not known for being able to slow teams down. So I think this Saturday night at 7 becomes a little bit more of an opportunity for a win. We'll hope that is the case. We plan on having the Jeff Scott press conference. Normally airs live around 11.30, 11.45 on Tuesday morning. If that changes, we'll, of course, let you know on the aforementioned Twitter feeds. On this show, we will move along to the rest of the weekend, including winning highlights for men's soccer, tell you what went on with volleyball, golf, and tennis as well. Stay tuned. Back to the beat. Bulls beat continues with Derek Sharp. Shout out to the local Publix. The Sun Lake Publix had the water gallons out where you didn't have to look for them on Monday morning. Yes, I was out filling up the tank and filling up the car with bottled water. Hopefully it's all over preparing, but thank you to all of the meteorologists who go into overdrive. I know I'm partial to Paul Delegato and Dennis Phillips, but we have so many people doing great work here, including those helping us get ready with the preparedness materials. With that in mind, the schedule for this week might be a little bit tweaked. I think a Tuesday late morning press conference should be able to go off as scheduled. Wednesday's football radio show might get altered this week. The Bulls, again, are helped by the fact that they can be at home and not have to worry about packing up and going somewhere, but you got to keep in mind there's another team that has to come to town and the East Carolina Pirates normally would come up on a Friday. Who knows if that gets altered. Volleyball is also going to be at home Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock. Again, that might have to change, but we'll get to volleyball in just a couple of minutes. Let's go with soccer first. So Saturday, we had the broadcast live for you on USF Bulls Unlimited. We told you why it was a must-win, because just the way the American is shaping up in men's soccer with so many now ranked teams, wait until you hear the show around the American to really break that part of it down. But the long story short is they had to beat Temple, and they were behind in the first half. Flicks it into the right side. That's a good cross. This could be dangerous. Carini's there to settle, and this is a dangerous chance. It's a shot and a blast. That's a goal. Wow, what a shot. You could see that coming. Sawyer Coase, the freshman, sent it across, put all he had into it, and Karani got the ball, and he just had to 
his chance to pick and choose. This is an all-conference player type before he was hurt, and he had that it's-in-my-wheelhouse look, and I'm going to uncork a shot. Unstoppable shot with 24-16 left in the first half, and it's one nothing Owls. Certainly the way the flow of the game was going, you figured that the Bulls would still be able to answer back. Man, did they get a boost towards that end later in the half. Kostanchik is ridden down to the ground, and this could be a foul as Kostanchik kind of got Draven Barnett, the freshman, frustrated, and he pulled him down there. So Lovro Kostanchik is, oh, a red card. Is that his second yellow? Wow, what a mistake. You want to talk about a freshman mistake, that is an enormous one. What a turn of events. You have got to call that a yellow card. You have to. He got a card in the ninth minute. Kostanchik had it across midfield. And boy, you talk about a place you do not commit a foul. Maybe you nudge a guy off the ball at midfield, but don't grab him with both of your arms, hang on to him, and pull him down. And so the Bulls have a massive break just handed to them. There's an hour left in this game, and the Bulls will be playing that hour unless they flub it. They do not have anyone in a yellow card with a man advantage. And that completely changed everything. Temple, well, for one thing, started to do a lot of flopping, hoping to get a makeup call. That didn't work, so that benefited the Bulls. But secondly, only put one man forward and really never had the ball on the Bulls' defensive side of the field. Temple, just like the Bulls, needed a win badly in this game and was going to be happy if it just had to defend the rest of the way and win one to nothing. It's a dicey, scary way to play it, but it was the right way to play it. And obviously it gave the Bulls multiple chances to score. Anytime they would miss a shot, it would be back in their possession. You know, five seconds later, the Owls just weren't trying to move forward. And you figured the Bulls would get a goal at some point. It took a while. It took 40 minutes with the man advantage, but the key moment here. It leads to a corner for the Bulls. In this game, they've had... Eight corners to zero for Temple. 16 shots to four for Temple. Temple leads 1-0 with 22 minutes to go. Looks like Privatera is going to offer it up from the left side. Not a bad one whatsoever, and that's a goal! There it is! Brian Schaefer! What a feed by Privatera. Just get it on goal, and Brian Schaefer does not mess up. Great header by Brian Schaefer, who was the player of the game, not just because he had the goal there, but he had a lot of valuable clearances with his head on defense and actually kind of dribbled out the clock when Temple was pushing forward. Oh, that's because the Bulls got the lead. Temple, of note, again, wasn't hoping for a tie. They were hoping for a win. So when the Bulls finally did tie it, the Owls responded with more of an offensive approach, which gave the Bulls free reign to get the second goal, and they did. 16 minutes left. Bulls have it at midfield with Privatera, who's been great. Off to Victorio. Now crosses pass with the Gabby. Gets it to him. Touches it up to Rosano. Back heel pass to Privatera. Back to Victorio. Top of the box. Tries a curler shot. Deflects in. What a break. And a goal for the Bulls. Nifty as all get out to set it up. Deflected, I think, off of two owls. Like bumper pool, kids, look it up. And the Bulls take the lead with about 16 minutes to go. Probably should have mentioned that in between the two goals, Temple actually almost scored right away, but they had 
few chances in the second half. Again, helped out by the fact that they were playing down a man that whole time. No matter how it happened, the Bulls will take it, a 2-1 victory. Here's a couple minutes of head coach Bob Butehorn after the win that puts the Bulls to 1-0-1 in the conference, which is really what matters. Overall record, 2-3-2. and And with a lot of big matches coming up, they needed a win, and they earned it. It's a tough game. You give a lot of credit to Temple. They battled and made it... Uh made it tough and they uh you know like again it was for our guys to kind of uh, dig in and try to figure out how to get behind them when they're sitting in and trying to keep us you know from scoring it's it's always tough and especially in college soccer it can be it can be a little frustrating but the boys kind of showed a little bit of uh maturity and uh, they scored some good goals when they needed to so give credit to their goalkeeper they made some saves today no doubt the chances again we created were good and and i know i keep telling myself they're going to start to fall because they create they create so many quality chances but uh for us it's just a good one to win um it's also exciting to get it in front of our own crowd but you know we'll take it i thought we were we had most of the play in the, the first one they caught us on a counter and i thought that was kind of a little bit of their game plan we knew that um but i thought we were we were getting some good chances before the red card and then i think once the red card happened, we felt like, okay, we're going we're, we're gonna to get one at least. Yeah. So, um, and I, at halftime, I just told the guys to settle down and breathe and, and, uh, and just stay positive, and they did, and they did a good job. They found a way. It ages you a little bit, there's no doubt. <laughs> um, but I, I give, like again, I give there a lot of cre- credit to the guys. They, I, I just had a little bit of a calm feeling that I knew we were going to get it done, um, and I had to show them that. I had to make sure they believed that, that I believed they were going to do it. And... Uh, and it was one of those things where the guys that came in, Gabby gave us great minutes tonight. And he was the kind of, I would say, the difference in kind of breaking them down and being able to expose kind of some of their, their weaknesses and also combine with, you know, our forwards. So I think he and, yeah, he and Shion and uh, Ashmere did a really good job tonight. Glad to hear him mention Gabby Privatera, who is one of the guys that last year did not play a full season due to injury. This year with a lot of newcomers to the team, being pushed out as far as getting constant minutes, but absolutely a guy who can change the course of the game and did so with his creative play and served up the header to Brian Schaefer off the corner kick and was a constant threat. That little interplay before the last goal was fantastic. I was listening back to a replay. We try to trim them down for editing purposes so that you can get the replays in 90 minutes or less and not Two minutes before the Victorio goal, I was saying how he was just having a frustrating night struggling, skying the ball over the net, but sticking with it, obviously. And even though that shot didn't go where he was shooting it, it ended up in the back of the net, and the Bulls get their fourth win in a row against Temple. The volleyball team went 0-2 this weekend. We told you that SMU was probably going to be the tougher of the two opponents. Actually, the fact that the Bulls got a set from SMU was nice little momentum carryover. The Mustangs would turn around and pretty much easily handle the Bulls in the fourth set, 25-16. Final score was Mustangs 25-18, 25-15, which is a wipeout in the second set. But the Bulls responded, taking the third, 25-23, before losing 25-16. For the Bulls in the match, they only hit a 154 number, while SMU hit 279. Actually, the Mustangs' top hitter, Natalie Perdue, was held in check. She had 17 kills, but had 47 attempts and 10 errors. On the Bulls' side, errors were definitely a problem for a couple players. Marta Svitkovic, who's been so good, exactly 7 kills and 7 errors. That's not a ratio you're looking for. In fact, no Bulls in a 4-set match got into double figures in the kill category. Maria Andrade had 8 to lead the way for USF. 
Then they played on Sunday, and I said statistical anomalies. The Bulls lose in five sets. You know, it's kind of like a tennis match. It doesn't matter how much you win a set by, it just counts as 7-6. A tiebreaker counts the same as 6-love. So you can win a match 7-6, love 6, 7-6. Well, you can also win a match, apparently, like Memphis did against the Bulls, when, this is almost impossible to believe, the Bulls had 13 more kills. So you figure immediately, you know, there's another category that's so lopsided. Well, it wasn't errors. Memphis actually committed one more error, so maybe it was blocked. Nope, wasn't that. The Bulls had 20 blocks to eight for Memphis. The difference was, first of all, again, when Memphis won a set, it was closer than when the Bulls won a set, but serving, that's it. Bulls committed six more errors. Memphis had four more aces, but as far as actual attack goes, the Bulls outperformed Memphis. Svitkovic bounced back. With 18 kills. There were f- with 18 kills, and there were four bulls in double figures this time. Amanda D. Witt with 12. Ali Barnhart with 10 to just one error. Maria Andrade with 10. And Tizzy Poyiz added eight kills. Mary Hendricks Walker, for that matter, had six herself. Maria Andrade had 10 kills and 20 digs. CC Clausen had 20. In other words, the bulls played well, but just barely lose it. 15-13 in the fifth set. Next two matches are at the Yingling Center, scheduled for Friday at 3 o'clock against Tulsa. Again, two things. Will Tulsa be safe enough to fly a plane into Tampa, ironically, the Golden Hurricane? If not, maybe the match gets moved. Also, of course, will Friday at 3 o'clock be safe enough to have any sort of activity going on? We'll keep you informed. But either way, scheduled for Friday at 3 against Tulsa in the Yingling Center, and then scheduled for Sunday at 1 against Wichita State also in the Yingling. Keep in mind that Tulsa will be going from Tampa to Orlando to play UCF on Sunday, so there's a chance that the match gets moved perhaps to Saturday. Whatever happens, we'll let you know. And we'll let you know that the women's golf team was definitely shorthanded. Try without its top player, Melanie Green, who had an illness. She's expected to be back for their next event, but Without her, it was going to be tough no matter what. At the Lady Paladin Invitational in Greenville, South Carolina, Furman on its own golf course wins the event two over. Three back was Old Dominion. Then the next best score was 17 over par. Conference team Memphis, by the way. So it gives you an idea what the numbers were. The Bulls ended up 45 over par, even though they shot their best round on Sunday. Round three was an 11 over par. And turning in a fantastic performance on the last day was transfer Alize Vidal. She had a two under par 70. Through two rounds, she was outside the top 50, ended up tied for 27th, seven over par. So steady improvement from Vidal. She had a seven over in the first round Friday, then got it to two over before finishing with that two under stellar round. Juliana Camargo was the next best bull, three over, six over, and then two over on Sunday. And that's with a double bogey with four holes to go, but she backed that up with the birdie and finished in the top 50, 11 over for the three rounds. After that, it was Lauren Heinlein, who definitely had an interesting weekend, three under for her first nine holes, was actually the co-leader through the turn, but ended up four over in that first round. In her six over 78 yesterday, started off with four bogeys in her first five holes, but later had three birdies in a row. So I'm guessing 15th out of 18th will not be repeated by the Bulls this weekend in Virginia when Melanie Green is back with the team. The men, hoping to improve on a 10th place finish in Wisconsin a couple weekends ago. They are in Illinois starting today, a 14-team event hosted by Northwestern. You got your Midwest Marquettes and Wisconsin's and Indiana's in 
in this event, you also have a fellow conference foe in Memphis and a fellow Florida squad, UNF. Tomorrow's show will give you the full rundown, the Bedford Cup, a very competitive event where, unfortunately, Christina Morris's women's tennis team just had a lot of close losses, but they've got some talent. And again, we want to talk more about tennis as we get into the fall season. That's going to wrap up, though, this Monday Bulls Beat. Thanks for checking it out. I'm Derek Sharp.